Thank you for joining us today in the Restoration Church podcast. This week we're talking about the keys to an effective faith based out of Matthew and the parable of the seeds. Hope you enjoy. Let's all stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. (laughs) And I'm a King James gal, but this is new King James. Okay, parable of the soils. This is Matthew 13, 1 through 17. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. That is so cool, you know? (laughs) For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Thank you, Ursula. Yes. So much for reading that text. You guys can see the... Ever pay attention to kids, you discover that they have an amazing imagination. Uh, even now, watching my, my children as they get older and become teenagers and older teenagers too quickly, uh, it's amazing the imagination they have. Uh, Emma the other day like, drew this picture on the, on the tablecloth at the crab shop, and I was like just blown away by her imagination she had to express something artistically. I can remember when they were real little kids playing with stuffed animals and could create like entire kingdoms with kings and queens and princes and princesses and, and, and uh, narratives that would, that would put uh, Tolkien to shame there with their stuffed rabbits and stuffed uh, animals and whatnot as they had amazing imagination. As a kid, my imagination would often get the worst of me. I remember laying in bed and you would start to hear things at night. I hear like noises and here, you know, I think somebody's downstairs. Was that the door opening? Oh, was that a pot that just fell? Oh, was that somebody clicking a gun? I mean, you just, like your imagination would just run wild when you're a kid, just thinking what was going on. Um, and that's just the way we are as kids. It seems like as adults, we have a tendency to, to lose that a little bit. But do you ever get caught in the, the, the fear or the concern that your faith is imaginary? Um, that maybe as you pray and you ask God to, to take care of the financial needs you have and, and maybe it doesn't happen like you thought it should, and so you begin to wonder if God's even real. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you're in a position where you expect, you, you want God to come through in a certain way, um, heal somebody, uh, to, to uh, take care of a relationship you're in, and He doesn't do what you think He should do. And so maybe you don't doubt He exists, but you begin to doubt maybe... Um, your faith, and you, you doubt whether your faith was strong enough. Maybe if I just believed a little bit more, and believed a little bit more accurately, and a little bit more effectively, or, or maybe even wonder, okay, maybe God's real, but maybe my understanding of Him is wrong, or maybe, maybe I just need to read a passage of Scripture, and if I can find that one passage of Scripture is going to unlock who God is for me in such a way, I'm going to finally get the combination to the safe. And you approach God that way, you approach Scripture that way. I, I've, been, I've been guilty of that a lot in my life, of just being a guy who 
searches for that next great truth or that next great idea in the Bible, um, if I could just finally unlock that combination, um, get that one verse and that one Greek word and that one semantic structure and just, just get the combination just right, I can unlock the safe and all the things of God would just like flow out to me. Um, those are some of the things that I deal with when it comes to struggling with having the best faith, the most powerful faith I can. We've been in a series talking about faith the last few weeks. And today we're going to continue that in Matthew chapter 13. Um, Ursula was kind enough to read the first couple paragraphs around that. They really speak to something pretty, pretty amazing. It's a story that Jesus gives us about understanding the kind of faith that moves mountains. That's the series that we're in. We called it Mover. And it comes from that verse. Is, is he had the faith, even as a grain of mustard seed, you can say this mountain, get up and move, and it'll get up and move. That's the kind of mover faith that Jesus calls us to have and expects us to have. That should describe the kind of Christian life all of us have. Uh, it should be a demonstration of that significant level of supernatural divine intervention that Jesus describes in the passage of Scripture that says, hey, you can be able to tell a mountain, get up and move around and go over there. I mean, I, I don't, I've never done that with a mountain. I, I probably couldn't even get that shed to move anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, hey, move over there, shed. I couldn't get that shed to move anywhere. I probably couldn't even get like a coffee cup to like move from one table to another. Uh, my faith is so weak. And of course, as we hear this, we're going, okay, God's got bigger things in mind. And of course he does. God's got bigger things in mind than moving coffee cups or sheds or even mountains. God wants to move the things in our life that feel like mountains, that feel like burdens. And we want to express an experience with God, the kind of faith, the kind of connection and contact with God that would allow us to see him work supernaturally and divinely in our lives. And that's what Matthew chapter 13 is all about. Helping us as we begin to put the end of this series together. Understand some of the, some of the ways that our faith can be viewed so that as we, as we get an anatomy of faith, we understand the right ways to apply strength in faith um, to see God work in powerful ways and fruitful ways in mountain-moving ways so that we can truly say that our faith is a moving faith, a mover faith. So Matthew chapter 13, you've, you've read it, but let's give a, a bit of a review of what happened here. So Jesus tells a story. Uh, there's a guy that starts sowing some seed, and some of the seed fell um, on the path beside the garden. And because it didn't get into the soil where the soil had already been broken up, um, birds came and took it away. And then there's some seed fell right there in the soil, and boy, it started growing. But, um, but before long, the birds were able to pluck it up out of the dirt. And then, and then there was some other soil that started taking root, and the, the thorns kind of covered it up and stuff like that, started choking it out. And then even though it started to grow and started to sprout, it didn't last very long because of the, because of the thorns and the weeds and the garden getting overran by other, other, other bushes and things of that nature. And then some of the soil actually stayed in the ground, got covered up, built, had roots, sprouted, and then started to bear fruit. Some of it bared a little bit of fruit, some of it bared a whole lot of fruit, and some of it was a little bit in the middle. So Jesus teaches us this story or tells us this story about planting seeds. And the disciples are like, what, what, what's going on here? I don't know if I understand this, this whole thing. Why in the world do you, why, why are you telling stories all the time, Jesus? Why do you always teach stories and teach, teach about life through stories? And Jesus explains a little bit of why he teaches about stories in the next few verses. And by the way, just a subtle pause footnote. It is interesting that Jesus uses stories so regularly to communicate truth about who he is. Jesus was a storyteller. Um, as you study how culture is changed or how culture is, is passed on from one generation to another, it's always through the power of story. At Restoration Church, what we hope to see is story after story after story of lives that have been changed by the gospel. You know, if somebody's not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, maybe even as a question, God's real. If I hadn't seen God do something great in somebody's life, I might be the same way. What can we experience at Restoration Church as we embrace God through faith so that we can begin to have the stories of God's faithfulness, tell about how great He is, and see the world begin to experience the culture of life change that Jesus also told about when He spoke His parables. We should be a storytelling culture. That's, who Jesus, uh, that's what Jesus emulated. That's what Jesus taught us to be. Uh, we transfer culture. We build culture uh, through telling great stories about the great God we serve. As Jesus continued into uh, chapter 13, he actually began to explain, uh, starting in verse 18, he began to explain the parable and the other passages of Scripture that we read earlier. He began to explain them to us. And he's going to give us a few different ideas of what kind of faith we should have. And here's the first one. This is going to be straight up like number one, number two kind of thing going on today. Uh, number one, effective faith is a result of hearing God speak. So... Even as we, and I know a lot of you take notes, I'm going to say that one more time. Effective faith is a result of hearing God speak. 
I'm going to wrote notes so that way if Rebecca says, what'd you say? I can actually look at my notes and go, we'll be good there. I don't have to depend on them. Anyway, uh, I, got, I got to look. I got in trouble on that one. Um, but as, as we have faith, as we pursue faith, what kind of faith is going to be fruitful, effective faith? What Jesus is doing in this story is giving us that anatomy of faith. He's saying that faith is like, um, faith is very similar to when you take a seed. You take a seed and you put it into soil. And if you combine the two, then you can have fruit or that seed can come to life and produce what we would expect or hope it would produce. Inside of that seed is the life. Matter of fact, there's an old proverb I really, really love. It says, great is the man who can look at the seed and see the forest. Because inside of that seed is the DNA, the structure for a tree that will produce another tree, that will produce another tree, that will produce another tree. And Jesus is saying that there's, the seed is like the promise of God. It's like the Word of God. Later in this passage, he calls it the Word or the Logos of God. That's what the seed is. It's the Gospel. It's a scriptural truth. It's a fact about God that comes from the text. It's, it's a discovery of revelation that we have encountering God face to face. It's, it's a promise, the Word of God. That's what the seed is. But the soil represents our faith. Uh, the dirt represents our faith. And it's interesting because what Jesus is teaching us is that it's putting the two together, putting the dirt with a promise that allows the life, the miracle of the seed to produce the fruit, the expectation. As the old song says, it's what allows our faith to become sight is when we take the promise and put it in our faith and embrace it with faith and allow fruit to be born. So with that in mind, think about the importance of the soil in this analogy. What would, what would you get if you had really great soil but no seed? Really great soil. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, maybe I didn't say that right. What if you watered it really well? And you fertilize it really, really, really well. Maybe you put some of that like stinky like chicken poo on there. This like horrible stuff. You, you, I mean, it was like super rich. So it was just like dark, rich, just fertile soil. I mean, but then it would be good, right? No, of course not, right? The, the soil by itself, without the promise, without the truth, without the theology about who Jesus is, will never produce the life that's in the seed. Because the life is in the seed, not in the soil. How often do we, as we look to grow and strengthen our faith, think that it's all about how much faith we have? Well, why didn't this happen in my life? Why didn't God answer that prayer? Why didn't God act in accordance to my idea about Him? It could be that our idea about Him is not an idea that's reflective of an accurate view of who He is. Why didn't God do what I asked Him to do? Maybe we don't have a promise from God that our faith is not built on a promise, but it's built on faith, faith and faith. Faith and feeling, faith and emotion, faith and experience. Oftentimes we're caught up into thinking the reason we're not receiving something from God is because our faith isn't strong enough. Our faith isn't great enough. But many of the times we're not receiving what God, uh, what, what we might think we should expect from God is because God never promised. God never, God's character never, should have never leaned us towards assuming or believing or trusting God to act in a certain way in our lives. We have a tendency when we don't receive from God to focus on our faith, but instead of focusing on our faith, we should do what we've talked about for a few weeks. We should show, focus on the Father and the greatness of the Father and how He loves us. We should focus on the fact that there is a gap between us and God, and that's okay because we don't have to measure up because in Jesus, we measure up all we need to. We should focus on the fact that Jesus is in a position of authority and power, and He can do whatever and whenever He wants to. We often take this and spin it the other way and say when there's something we're not receiving from God, there must be something wrong with our faith. This analogy helps us understand that's not the case. I hope that brings you some encouragement today. Um, we have a tendency as followers of Jesus to always look at us, to test ourselves, to challenge ourselves, to think there's something wrong with us, which in our, and the irony is, is means we are really truly moving away from a position of faith. And God says, stop focusing on the soil. Stop focusing on the dirt. Find the seed. Find the truth. F don't find so much faith in yourself. Don't look to find so much faith in yourself. Look to find faithfulness in God. As we keep thinking about this idea that effective faith is a result of hearing God speak, and read a little bit further, in chapter 18 it says, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 18, you then, so he's going to explain to us what was going on in the parable. You then, Listen to the parable of the sower. Understand it. That's what the word listen could mean. 
When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, if you underline things in your Bible, underline that word understand it or circle it or something along those lines. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the, this is the one sown, sown along the path. The word listen actually could be translated, if you look at most Greek dictionaries or Greek lexicons, um, it, would be, it could be translated to think about, to apply the ability or the, the skill or the mind to understand. So as it's translated in the version that I read, it almost looks at the end result of understanding where what's actually going on in the text is that Jesus is not saying that it, you didn't have the end result of understanding, but you didn't apply the, apply the necessary mental faculty to, uh, to be able to understand. Do you see the difference? So in, in chapter chapters verse uh, that we just looked at, verse 18, verse 19, it's, it almost sounds like if we just read it in most English translations that Jesus' rebuke is for not understanding something. But the real rebuke is for not trying to understand, to not think about, to not reflect on, to not meditate on the word, the promise, the truth. That's what Jesus is challenging us to do. Matter of fact, this word happens um, a few times in this, in this little section of Scripture that we've already read it. And it doesn't happen very often in the New Testament, the word that we're talking about now that's translated understand in verse 19. But it does happen a lot right here, and I think there's a reason for it. So I want you, I want you to make, make sure you guys stick with me for a second. We're going we're gonna to trace something down a little bit. We're, we're, we're at a point in the text where at the very surface we see a thread. And we want to trace that th- thread down to understand exactly what Matthew's trying to teach us about faith so that we can have that kind of faith that we've been talking about for three weeks. So we can understand what it looks like to have that kind of faith. But we're going to just start the thread. So just, just hang out with me for a minute. Pay, focus in for a little bit. And we're going, to, we're going to trace that thread down. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, good. All right, so verse, no, verse number 11, uh, Jesus begins to describe why he uses uh, parables and stories to teach. But then in verse 13, he gets into the nitty-gritty. For this reason, I speak to them in parables, because looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen. And it's almost like he could stop right there. Then he adds, or understand. That's the same word that we that's translated as understand in verse, verse 19. This is a word that happens about four times in the New Testament, at least in this, in this basic area, and it happens all right here. So there's something going on here. We've got to go, what's happening? Why does he keep using this word over and over and over? What he's trying to teach us? What he's trying to make us pay attention to? And then he quotes from Isaiah, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them which says... You will listen and listen. Literally, it's an imperative verb there. You will listen. You must listen. Listen. And listen. Keep listening. But the result's going to be you're never going to pursue or meditate. You're never going to understand, but it's more than that. You're never going to meditate. You're never going to dig in. You're never going to reflect on it. You're going to hear it. You need to listen to it. But the problem between listening and embracing the truth and that truth moving you to faith is you're not reflecting on it. You're not meditating on it. You will look and look, yet you will never perceive, you will never gaze. So he's quoting from the book of Isaiah here. And I'm not going to go terribly deep in all this, but I do want to have you understand. I think it's really important. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. And what, what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, if you remember this passage, Isaiah has had this amazing vision of God. I mean, it's like straight out of, of uh, Hollywood. Like uh, whatever your favorite like military, big, big flashy uh, director is. I mean, this Michael Bay kind of thing uh, is, is happening here. There's fire, there's smoke, there's like these beings with six wings. And I mean, it's just crazy stuff. I mean, he has this vision, this revelation. That is that uh, would put anything in you see in Hollywood today to shame. Just amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, he's so moved by this presence of God. He's like, God, I've got to go tell people about you. I've got to go tell people what they need to do. And then God kind of interrupts him a little bit. Said, Okay, I'm going to give you a message. You're just going to tell them. You guys are in trouble. You're under judgment because even though you listen, you don't seek to understand. You don't meditate and reflect. Even though you, you see and you look, you don't reflect and, and try to, try to uh, through, that, through that looking and careful paying attention, try to interpret what you're seeing. And that's what Jesus says, or in the book of Isaiah, God says to Isaiah that is the, the root cause of the people in Isaiah, the people of Israel is rep- reflected and represented in Isaiah of them being under the judgment of God. It goes on to elaborate and reflect on that a lot more in Isaiah it's, it's one of the places we see this idea come up. He's translated in a Hebrew word called, uh, that we would say bayin, if you want to say it in 
the best way we say in English, buy-in is the Hebrew word that he's translating there, and that he's referring to in Matthew chapter 13. That Hebrew word doesn't come up often in the, in the Hebrew Bible, but it does come up in a very important passage. It comes up in, in the passage where, uh, in the end of the, end of the Torah, uh, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, right? We also call it the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, those are the first five books of the Bible. It comes up at the very end in a poem that ends those, those five books. It's literally one book. Matter of fact, Pentateuch means uh, five-part book. So it's not five books. It's really one book. We've just broken it up to make it very easy to understand uh, for us, us modern readers. So at the very end of the Torah, at the very end of the, the Pentateuch, there's a, there's a poem. And there's been three other poems in the book of, in the Torah that explain what the Torah is all about. I'm give you this. I'm gonna give you the cliff notes. One's in Genesis chapter 49, and it talks about the seed and that there's going to be this seed who's going to come and he's going to take away the sins of the world and he's going to be from the line of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to be a king. And then Numbers 24 it talks about the seed again. It keeps every time it has one of these poems, it says something about the last days. And it's not last days like off in the future, way off in the future when. You know, things happen in the tribulation and the things we read about in Revelation. But last days in the Torah is really any time after the Torah ends, the, the later days. So in, in Genesis chapter 49, it's there's in the latter days, there's going to be the seed. In Numbers 24, it talks about how the seed's going to be the one who, if you have faith in him, uh, you will be made righteous. And then Deuteronomy 12, he speaks to, speaks to the position of the law and our hearts being challenged by the law and, our law, and the law being imprinted on our hearts. Uh, through this power of the seed, through the seed who will come, this man who will come. And then he ends the book in Genesis, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter, um, uh, the, the last chapter of uh, Deuteronomy, um, I'm blanking now, I think it's 39. Uh, he, says, he says to this, in, during this point, he, again, he brings up these last days, and he says to the children of Israel, Moses is kind of his last hurrah. This is his last speech. So you can imagine what it would be like if I felt like I was about to, Go meet Jesus. What kind of speech am I would want to give? Or maybe even the president. Maybe his last day in office. What kind of speech does he want to give? This is Moses' last speech. And it's a poem that really strategically, intentionally helps us understand what the first five books of the Bible are about. And in it, he says something very interesting. He says that the reason you guys are under judgment, and it sounds like Isaiah 6, right? The reason you are under judgment is because you haven't buy-in. You haven't meditated. You haven't reflected on the last days, the material I've been telling you about in the entire Torah about the last days. So I'm going to repeat what I just said in kind of a summary fashion. So basically, here's what he said. The reason that the children of Israel were under the judgment of God, according to the Pentateuch, according to the Torah, this is verse chapter 32, verse 28. Sorry, I lost my train of thought of what, what verse it was. Chapter 32, verse 38. The reason you guys are under judgment is not because you disobeyed the law. It's not because you uh, didn't give enough sacrifices. It's not because of any of those legal issues. It's because you didn't reflect and meditate when I talked about what was going to happen in the last days. And what was going to happen in the last days. A seed was going to come. A Messiah was going to come that was going to take away the sins of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, right in the Torah, right in the Pentateuch, and the key difference between receiving the gospel and responding with faith was whether they meditated and reflected on these key parts of Scripture and understand what's kind of a technical way to understand the book. So what do we get from that? So what, right? Why in the world will we bring that up? Because Jesus is challenging us in Matthew chapter 13 that if we want to have the kind of faith that bears fruit, we need to have the kind of faith that's built on the Word of God. That's built on reflecting deeply, meditating deeply on the Scripture. We can't just go surface through the Bible. We can't just kind of read every now and then, you know, get our little pack of peanuts from Jesus. You know, did you guys do this when you are in like third grade? Like in third grade, we had a, literally a Coke machine and we could get a pack, a pack of peanuts and we would get our, our Coke machine or sun drop where I'm from. And we would, uh, we would pop open the sun drop and we would pour peanuts down in there. Anybody else do that? I mean, it was like the bottles. I mean, that's probably showing my age a little bit there. But I mean, and it was weird and I didn't like it, but I did it because I thought it made me look cool because everybody else did it. But we, we would put peanuts down in the sun drop bottle and you drink it. And, and I think sometimes we approach the scriptures that way. Just give me a little bit. Just give me a little taste. Just give me my little pack of peanuts and my, little, and my soda and I'll be good. Jesus is challenging us as we read this text that we're not going to hear from God outside of the context of careful, reflective study and meditation on Scripture. 
Sometimes we are guilty. I am guilty of trying to make the, make the Scripture so simple and so easy to digest that we oversimplify it and we water it down. And Jesus is saying that is a root cause of, no, of people having a lack of faith. When I was um, growing up, we bought a farm. My dad bought a I didn't buy a farm. I didn't have any money. Um, I could have bought like a blade of grass with my $3 from my piggy bank. But my dad bought a farm. And when we bought the farm, we were uh, on like the very back part of the farm. And we, we started to plow because uh, we were going to grow some crops in the back, back part of the farm. And we started to plow. And as we did that, all this stuff started coming up to the top of the surface. I can remember like an old torn up doll, an old torn up baseball. Um, some clothes, I mean, just all kinds of things. And, I mean, as a kid, you can imagine, my, my imagination went wild with what I was seeing. There was just stuff coming out of the dirt all over the place. It felt like we were discovering treasure. I, I was like straight up Indiana Jones, uh, the Lost Ark. I knew there was going to be something, some gold down in there somewhere. So all the dirt started coming up and revealing all these, all these treasures. And what, would, what had happened is, is years ago, you know, probably 20, 30 years before we bought the house, I bought the farm. A house had been there, and it got in such bad shape that they just collapsed it under the ground and then covered it up. But as we dug deep and plowed the dirt for a little kid, we discovered treasures that you cannot imagine. Baseballs and gloves and, and dolls uh, that really inspired me to think I was an archaeologist in a moment. That is the challenge Jesus gives us in this text of how we engage Scripture so that we hear from God. Because we will hear the voice of God in the context of studying deeply, meditating deeply on Scripture. You know, when I started going through that little run of text earlier, what I hope it helps us understand is, is that through that reflective, meditative, deep study of Scripture, God can speak to us. And when we just try to keep it so simple, yeah, just keep it so simple, I don't want to get too deep. We miss the nuggets of, nuggets of God. And even beyond that, do you understand why the Pharisees missed who Jesus was? It's because they didn't understand the Scriptures as deeply as they could have been. We know about the Pharisees. They most likely had much of the Hebrew Bible memorized. At least the Torah, almost for certainly, they would have had the Torah memorized. But even by knowing it that well and by hearing it that, that often and that clearly, because they didn't study it deeply, they missed the whole point of the Torah. They missed the whole point of the Hebrew Bible. The whole point of the Hebrew Bible is not to say do the law. It's not to say the old covenant is a good covenant. It's to say that the law is worthless. The old covenant will never lead you to salvation. You need another one who's going to bring a new covenant. You need a Savior. You need the seed and the Messiah who's going to come. And they missed it. They didn't miss it because they didn't read the Bible. They missed it because they didn't study the Bible. It was there all along. We've got to deep study, reflect, and meditate on the Scriptures. If you in your life feel like you're not hearing from God's Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our heart. I believe the Holy Spirit can in any moment speak to us about what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to be, what we're, how we're supposed to respond. He can help us understand who God is. That's my experience with the Holy Spirit of God. Even if that sounds a little nuts to you, that's my experience with it. That happens most effectively and most purely and most safely within the context of studying Scripture. When's the last time you heard from God? If the answer to that has been a while, when's the last time you studied Scripture very deeply? Number one, effective faith is a result of hearing God speak. Number two, effective faith is a result of not giving up on what God spoke. Verse 20, And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. So let's pause there. That's a positive thing, Right? Receives the word with joy. He's very excited about it. She's very excited about it. There's a lot of joy. Very, very passionate. A lot of drama. It's kind of an emotional engagement of the truth. Receives it with joy. Verse 21. Yet he or she has no root in himself. Or literally it could be the seed itself didn't bear root. But it was short-lived. It was temporary. That's what the seed was when it started bearing. It's just temporary. When pressure or persecution comes... Because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Well, I actually think it's referring to the referring to um, the stump, the word stumble is connected back to the idea of receiving it with joy, and the word stumble could be translated something like be offended or be angry. So on one hand, you've got an emotional statement immediately received it with joy, and on the other hand, you have an emotional statement. Uh, it is immediately he got angry or was offended. 
Why did he get so frustrated? Why did he get so angry? Because he never moved in his faith past the emotion of faith, which is important. The, the text doesn't rebuke the emotion of faith. We should have an emotional, passionate, compassionate love for Jesus and for each other, right? I mean, my marriage, if I was like, well, dear, I've made a covenant with you. I've made a commitment with you. Um, I'm going to serve you and provide for you. But don't ask for me to hold you close or give you flowers at Valentine's or to tell you sweet nothings in your ear, right? Like that, that's not going to last very long. Nobody's going to enjoy a marriage like that. And I'm not going to be able to survive in a marriage like that. So, so there's, it's okay for us to have a very passionate relationship with Jesus. But when it stops there... We're in danger of emotion being the foundation of our faith and not the result of our faith. The reason a person's faith is able to withstand trials and struggles and temptation is because their faith is built on fact, not feeling. There's, a, there's actually an old story, and I always, always get messed up when I try to tell it. Matter of fact, when I, was, when I told the story years ago preaching a sermon... Uh, there was a lady sitting right over like to the right of me who was my like the substitute teacher that you never wanted to have and she ended up being at the church that day and she was mean well as a substitute teacher she was mean I mean you couldn't get by with anything she was really mean so I was like so I'm going to tell you guys the story and I'll tell you the story and I'll come back to that so the, the old, old story is is that uh, fact faith and feeling were walking along a tightrope and everything was fine as long as faith followed fact and feeling followed faith but when faith began to turn around and look at feeling, they all fell off of the rope. Something along those lines. Like I said, I always do a hard job telling the story. When I told it to them that day, it was I said something along the lines of, um, so as, as uh, fact, faith, fact, and feeling were walking along the rope one day, and, and, and faith farted, and I literally said that, just the word farted. And I didn't say followed, I said farted. And I can tell some of you now, you're giving me the same look she gave me that day when I said that. So I'm really careful with that story, but it's an important story because it helps us understand that that faith... I lost you. I shouldn't have done that. Sorry. So, so faith should all follow fact. Right? And the experience and the feeling and the, and the emotions that we get from our faith should be because we have faith in the facts of Scripture and the Word of God. When we don't, we're in danger of allowing our emotions to be moved and affected on a day-by-day, regular basis. So that on one day, yes, Jesus, you're awesome. I feel it in my heart. I've got some tears. My hands are raised. I'm worshiping you because that's all about my feelings. And that's okay. That's good. That's where we need to be. We need to be expressive and emotionally in, in, our, in our love and our passion for Jesus. But if that's all we have, if it's never built on fact, the next day when I'm not feeling so good about Jesus, when the storms start to rage, when the prayer didn't get answered, when, when the person didn't get healed, when the marriage fell apart, at that point, my feelings and my experience tell me to start doubting who God is because my faith wasn't built on the fact of who God is, on the faithfulness of who God is. It was built on my experience. And when my experience falls, my feelings fall, my emotions fall, my faith follows it. Jesus is saying that that is the leads us to lacking, having a faith that's not very effective. Number three. Effective faith is a result of taking pleasure in hearing God speak. Look what he says in verse 22. Now the one sown amongst, among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age, or the, the, the stresses and anxiety and cares of this age, and the seduction or pleasure of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I will say just real quickly what's going on here is it seems like that everything's been going pretty well, right? I mean, we've been progressing okay. The seed gets planted, the seed sprouts, things are going pretty well. But because of distractions, distractions of, and this is the first thing he speaks to when it comes to distractions, just everyday life. Just the cares and the worries of, of everything other than the spiritual world and the spiritual life. That is what has a tendency to lead us away from taking pleasure in hearing God's voice. And then he says, not only the everyday things, the anxiety and cares of this age, but also the pleasures of wealth. And I think wealth could be a source of pleasure, but a lot of us find pleasure in lots of different things. And pleasure is not wrong. We should take pleasure. We should take pleasure in great food and great art. We should take pleasure in our relationships. We should take pleasure in all the beautiful and glorious things of the earth. I think God gives us those things to teach us what it means to take pleasure in a very simple way. It's kind of like the training wheels of taking pleasure. So that we are more equipped and well equipped to take pleasure in Him. Because we should take pleasure in God in the same way that we take pleasure in other things. Just more of that way. 
Jesus is teaching us, though, that the reason why our faith doesn't sometimes ultimately produce fruit in life is because we allow the distractions of everyday life or other pursuits of pleasure to keep us from, uh, keep us from pursuing ultimate pleasure in Him. So how can we as believers be challenged to take pleasure in who Jesus is? First and foundationally. So that all the other pleasures that we pursue come out of that relationship and out of hearing Him speak. And it does imply something. Let me show you one other thing real quick. Verse 22 where it says, uh, verse two, Now the one sown among the thorns is the one who hears. It's literally the word continually hear. So this represents a believer who is continually... Listen, listen to this because engage for a second. This is the believer who continually listens to the Spirit of God and hears God speak to him. That's how strong this believer is. And you might have a tendency to think, hey, if I'm in that space where I'm listening to God all the time and I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the Word, I'm meditating on the Word, I'm reflecting on the Word, I'm hearing God speak as I study and, and, and meditate on the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me, God Himself inside of me, speaking to me, reminding me of how He loves me and how great He is, you would think that person was safe. You think that person was like in a position where nothing could ever go wrong again. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been there. But I didn't stay there. And when I don't stay there, it's because the pursuits of other pleasures, instead of the pleasure of finding joy in the Word and the presence of God, stop being a good thing and start being a God thing. They start becoming idols. And they become not a pursuit, but an ultimate pursuit. And it causes me not to hear from God because I don't pursue God with the singularity that it requires to hear Him. And when I don't hear Him, I don't hear His Word and I'm not able to respond with faith. Number five. Effective faith is a result... Sorry, this is number four, isn't it? Effective faith is a result of growing in our ability to hear God speak. Um, without looking at the text again, because we can just remember it, did you notice this is a growth process that's being described to us? So the first is just this kind of seed just lays there. It doesn't really do anything. You don't even hardly know the seed's there because you aren't hearing the Word of God. You aren't hearing God's voice through the Word of God. And then there's the process of, well, the seed is in the dirt, and it's a good thing. It's kind of received that emotional and affection and passion, but it isn't built on the fact of the foundation of God's Word. So it stops there. But then there's that next stage of growth, that next layer of, of discipleship and maturing as a believer where we're starting to hear God all the time or starting to hear who He is and, 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 and really spend time with Him and engage Him in a real friendship and a real relationship. But the distractions of this world, the distractions of pursuing pleasure in, in the wrong way start to pull us away from Him. And then finally we read, and we'll read it in a second, is that there is a fruitfulness that we see in a believer's life. Just from the surface 10,000 foot level, this reminds me of how important it is for us to help people and each other and ourselves grow through a maturing process. Becoming a strong, fruitful believer isn't something that happens overnight. You ever, as a kid, like plant a seed in the dirt and you water it and all that stuff and you like come out the next day and you're like, where's it at? Where's my little sprout? I can't wait to see it. It's not anywhere. It's because it's a process. It's a process that sometimes feels like three steps forward and two steps back. Sometimes it's a process that feels like two steps forward and three steps back. Or seven. <laughs> it's a process. And it speaks to our responsibility to help ourselves and help each other walk through this process. I think this can live out a very powerful way in what we do at Restoration Church called Depth Groups. How can we help each other in this and these stages and these processes to live closer and closer to a fruitful life. And even when we begin to step back off of a fruitful life, help each other engage again. Here's, here's a couple questions or a few questions I want to challenge you to start asking your depth group if it fits what you're doing. And it reflects the different stages that we see in this text. The first one is this. Ask, ask the people in your depth group this week or next week, what have you heard God say this week? What has God told you this week? And maybe while you're studying a scripture, He just brought to your mind an application of that text. It may be a meaning that you've uncovered. It may be something that He has got, and as you've listened to the Spirit speak to you, He's guided you in a direction. What have you heard God say this week? Number two, another good question to ask. In what way are you tempted to give up on God's promise or character this week? I'll say it again, see so if you're writing it down. In what way are you tempted to give up on God's promise or character this week? As your foundation is built on the facts of the good, strong theology and the truths of God, how do we 
and our faith get tempted to leave that kind of foundation. Number, number three, I guess, is where we are. What are you taking pleasure in this week? What are you taking the most pleasure in this week? No, no, that's a good conversation starter. What are you taking pleasure in this week? Oh, man, I had a great meal on Tuesday. been reading a great book. Awesome. That's cool. Tell me about it. Good. What are you taking the most pleasure in this week? To be honest with you, it ain't Jesus. That's going to be my answer some weeks. And I need brothers and sisters around me who can say, man, I've been there too. Let's pray for each other as you struggle through that process. Those are some questions to ask. A couple more quick points we'll be done. Number five, effective faith is the result of not focusing on outcomes, but the process. As he says in verse 23, but the one sown on the good ground, this one, this is one who hears and understands the word, but who does bear fruit and yield some, a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times on what is sown. Just a quick challenge. Jesus is saying that the amount of fruit that you, that you produce is irrelevant. Focus on the process. Focus on the soil. Focus on the seed. Focus on hearing God speak. And the fruit will come. The fruit will be a product. As we begin to focus on the, the outcome, the product, the, the result, the business result, instead of the application of the behavior of getting to know God, the more fruit we will actually if we do that wrong, we will not experience fruit. If we focus on the root, we will get the fruit. Simple way to put it. There was a, in a board meeting at Chick-fil-A several years ago, um, what used to be called, I think, Boston Chicken. It's called Boston Market now. But it used to be called Boston Chicken. And they were Chick-fil-A's number one competitor. And they were starting to really explode and were moving towards becoming a billion-dollar company. And Chick-fil-A wasn't nearly as successful at this time. So they were having a board meeting. And during this board meeting, they began to discuss, everybody on the board except for one individual began to discuss, all the vice presidents and whatnot, about how they could grow bigger. Because they needed to catch up with Boston Chicken. How can they get bigger? How can they get bigger? They needed to be a billion-dollar company, too. And they spent lots and lots of times walking through this. And Truett Cathy, the, uh, the president, or chairman, or big dog, we'll say big dog, Truett Cathy of Chick-fil-A, started pounding the table. I suppose this was kind of uncommon for Truett Cathy. He started pounding the table. To get their attention. He said, gentlemen, stop talking about how to get bigger. Keep focusing on how to get better. And bigger will take care of itself. That's a good business principle. Just get better and bigger will take care of itself. It's also a good principle for how we apply this passage of Scripture. Focus on hearing and serving and being close to Jesus. Finding your pleasure ultimately and foundationally in Jesus and the fruit will take care of itself. Stop judging, your, stop judging fruit. Stop judging your own fruit. Stop judging other people's fruit. And just help everybody start a relationship where they can hear who Jesus is. And here's the last thing. And actually, this is one of those that I kind of decided to do lately. So see if I can make it into a good sentence. Effective faith is the, the result of understanding the right fruit. What do I mean by that? You can make that a better sentence after I explain what I mean. Because that wasn't a good one. So what, are, what, are the, what is the fruit? It can be a lot of things, right? A lot, of, a lot of options for fruit. Right after this, in verse 24 through verse 29, and then there's an explanation of it later in the, in the chapter, Jesus tells us what fruit is. Fruit is helping other people discover the greatness of Jesus. It's helping other people believe the gospel, follow God, get in contact with the divine, supreme, infinite God of the universe. That's what fruit is. So, if you're in that position of life where your faith has been challenged, maybe you didn't receive what you thought you would receive. That thing didn't happen that you thought it would happen. Could it be that the fruit isn't receiving the thing you thought you would receive, but that the fruit is seeing the glory of Jesus expand through the gospel? And if we have a kind of faith that's okay with that, not only do we see that kind of fruit move, but we'll see mountains move. In a moment, I'm going to, uh, Frank and Meredith, the whole worship band can begin making their way up here. And I'm going to have a prayer in a second. But Frank and Meredith, as, they, um, as we transition, they're going to share with us a little bit about a mission trip they're going to take. And it's really reflective of what we just talked about, right? How can we as Restoration Church be a part of having the kind of faith that is ultimately obsessed with 
seeing the kingdom of God expand on the earth, seeing the glory of God expand through our, through our gospel presentation. That's the kind of faith. The faith that surrendered to the ultimate mission and purpose of God that sees mountains move. Uh, these guys are going to tell you about a trip they're going to be taking in the month of April. I really want you to listen and listen to the Holy Spirit as you, as you hear from them and see how you might could partner uh, with them in this. I believe, and I hope it's okay if I share this, they need $2,000 by March 15th. So, that's an opportunity for faith, right? It's an opportunity to see God's face, see God's Word, hear from God. Not just for them, but for us. How we can support them and how, we can, how you can support them. How you can go, you know what? I'm going to skip the cable bill this week. I'm going to turn off cable for the next six months so I can help somebody go tell others about Jesus. Or something like that. Guys, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about what Triple went like and the latest in worship and transition yeah um so i'm gonna start last year uh i would pray about once a week for the church in the middle east in the 1040 window i pray for refugees that um that god would break into their lives and bring them hope and solutions to their needs and that the church would be able to rise up and and take advantage of this opportunity to love uh millions and millions of people and i was praying this over and over again oftentimes when you pray for something, you'll find that God ends up sending you to be the answer to your own prayer, which is what kind of happened with us in this situation. And we've we've both been praying uh, about what it would you know about the Middle East and what it would look like for us to maybe be able to do some missions over there. Um, but towards the end of last year, there was an attack on Paris. There was also an attack in Beirut, Lebanon, that same week. And um, I had already been praying about Lebanon, ironically, before that happened. And then my wife and I were praying the night that we heard about that and we both separately felt the Lord speak to us and say that he wanted us to go to Lebanon and um, we didn't realize that until a few days later when we talked about it but um, through a series of kind of supernatural connections and events we were able to get connected turns out there is a church from our city uh, that's going to Lebanon in April and we connected with them like right at the right when it was the deadline for applying and everything and they needed only a couple more people to the team. So it was totally a God thing. He set it up. And um, there's, um, I, I don't want to get too long-winded, but I want to share this. There's upwards of 11 million um, displaced people in Syria since ISIS has taken power. There's upwards of 4 million people who have had to flee the country because they're, you know, they were either Christians or they weren't radical enough for ISIS uh, in their Muslim beliefs. Or, you know, they had some other kind of belief where it wasn't safe for them to be there because their options were to die, to pay more money than they had to give, or, um, I, I, yeah, or to convert to, to the, their radical form of Islam, which most of these refugees have fled because they weren't willing to do that. Um, and there are even, I think there's upwards of 7 million that are still stuck in Syria, but they're out of their homes because they're from cities that have been taken over. Um, and so a lot of these people are living, I mean, some, some people I've read live even in like abandoned animal cages or uh, people's sheds. And then there's, obviously there's a number of uh, refugee camps that they live in, but they don't have a lot of resources. And the ones in Lebanon, um, I, as far as I know, there's, there aren't any broad spectrum programs that are, that are bringing healthcare to these people. People come in from out of the country and bring, uh, they set up clinics. And uh, so the church that we're going to, it's actually a church that's already established and it's near a refugee camp in, in southern Lebanon in the city of Tyre. And so Mary and I are going to go with the medical team and we're going to set up a clinic for, I believe, about, I think, eight days. And so people are going to come and this may be the only opportunity they have to have this kind of medical care for who knows how long, an indefinite amount of time until another crew comes in and sets up a clinic. Um, and so, the also, one more thing I'll share is that I've been reading about this and talking to people who do this type of ministry and they said there's an unbelievable, unprecedented openness to the gospel in the Middle East right now because people are seeing a side of Islam that maybe they didn't want to believe was real. And so a lot of people who had never questioned their faith, they were just raised to believe the Quran uh, and, and, you know, they just, they never had a reason to question it. Now they're having a reason to question it. And a lot of them, some of them right now are becoming agnostic. Some people are converting 
to Christianity just straight from Islam. And a lot of people who are, have become agnostic, they're just like, I don't know what to believe anymore. They're very open to hearing the gospel. And they're really in a vulnerable place, especially these refugees, where they really need the hope of Jesus because um, a lot of them don't have more than each other. And they're surviving family members and the clothes on their back. And, um, and so the, the missionaries in the area and all around the world, world really are calling for the church to rise up and take advantage of this window. They say, we don't know how long this window of opportunity is going to be here, um, where there's so much openness to hear about Jesus in the Middle East. And so we felt like it was, we felt like it was time for us to take advantage of that. And we're, we're completely willing to go. The only thing that we don't have is the money. <laughs> but if, you, if any of you guys feel moved to partner with us in that way, and we'll, we'll be a team. You guys will be going with us uh, in our hearts, and, and financially you'll be having a huge impact. You know, um, I, was, I was talking with my wife the other day about what a lasting, deep impact, even the smallest words or the smallest act of kindness can have. Because someone said something encouraging to me, and it, and it pushed me to, uh, to step out and chase a dream that I've had in my heart for my whole life. But I never would have done it if they wouldn't have just said those few words to me. And so I can only imagine how, you know, just, just sharing the love of Jesus, the truth of the gospel with someone, even for a few minutes, for the first time, you know, when they're in this broken place, th this could be... This could be planting seeds on, you know, good, tilled, prepared soil, and it could bear infinite amounts of fruit. So we, we would love if you guys would partner with us in that. And also, even if you, you don't feel like God's uh, moving you to partner financially, if you would just keep us in, in, your, in your prayers and just pray that God would lead us and give us wisdom as we speak to people so we know when to speak and when not to speak, what to say and what not to say, because it's a very... It's a very um, you know, tricky situation. There's there's certain ways you need to approach the gospel so you don't just shut people's hearts like right away and offend people. And and we're being trained on how to do this, but I still would like to pray that that we would have wisdom and we'd be safe and that all the provisions, even more than just financial provisions, come in. So thanks for letting me share. Oh, and we have we have sheets over near the uh, the offering station. Uh, where you can sign up. I didn't bring any envelopes with me. If you'd like, you could. there's information on there on how to fill out checks, and I could take them back, or you could take the sheet home with you and, and mail it in if you want. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to let you guys leave just a second. I just wanted us to maybe transition slightly different. We're going to stand up, and we're going to pray for them. And uh, as they said, they have a way for you to give over here. You have a way to give uh, your tithes to the mission and vision of Restoration Church and a way to give to them specifically above and beyond that, and that gift. Um, we're going to actually say a prayer. And I just want to ask you as I pray and as, as, as they quietly pray, uh, quietly play, let's pray for them. Pray that God will provide these funds, whether it's through you, through me, through others, and that more than anything, God would bear fruit in the gospel witness they share. So let's pray together. Father, just in the quietness of this moment, I don't know about everybody else. When I hear about somebody going to Lebanon, I'm like, wow. Um, what a great God you are to help someone be so courageous that they would just choose to go to one of the most dangerous places.